Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. One of the hardest parts of transitioning from childhood to adulthood is becoming financially independent. Young adults who pursue a college education often find themselves saddled with debt. And no matter what kind of education you pursue, there's rent to pay, credit cards to navigate, and so much more. This hour, we're talking about how to navigate that transition and make sound financial decisions as a young adult. We'll also talk about how parents and other mentors can help as well. Later in the hour, I'll talk with Ryan Zanting, Director of Financial Aid at Drake University, and Peggy Worcester of Greater Iowa Credit Union. We will also take your questions. So if you have one, email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. But first, Dominica Watts is 23 years old and making her way in the world. She is a fifth grade teacher in the Des Moines Public Schools. Dominica, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me on. And we're going to talk about your experience. It, I, I'm struck by the fact that you've done so many things right. So we, we, will, we will. Yes, well done. Well done. So we'll, Thank you. we'll start at the beginning, though. You grew up in Waterloo, Iowa. You grew up in a single parent household. Was yes. money management something you talked about at home? Um, no, absolutely, absolutely not. Um, my mom will probably get me as for this, but <laughs> we struggled. We struggled financially. She struggled as far as money management wise. Um, I saw my mom sometimes live check to check, paycheck to paycheck. So I know what it feels like to not have the means to do something every month. Yeah. Now, how about school? We'll, we'll talk about where you got your financial education, mm-hmm. but did you did you get any kind of financial education in school? Um, well, in a school setting, like, yeah, no, I did not. My teachers did not teach me financial literacy. Um, the most I was really taught in school was from, like, junior achievement. Um, when they would come in and they would give, like, little um, lessons and community lessons. And the most thing we talked about, I think everybody knows, is wants and needs and is this a want? Is this a need? That's probably the, the farthest my financial literacy goes when it comes to schooling education. Right. Which is an important lesson to learn, obviously. Yes, it absolutely is. But that doesn't necessarily really prepare you to make good financial decisions. Now, absolutely. You did receive some financial education through the Job Foundation, which is a foundation based in Cedar Falls. It's dedicated to preparing kids for economic advancement. Tell me when you started working with the Job Foundation. I started working with the Job Foundation when I was about in second grade. So I was about like maybe eight or nine years old. And what did you do with them? So what I did with them, um, in the beginning, what we would do when I was in elementary, I would have, it probably was quarterly. Every quarterly, we would come together and they would teach us um, little lessons about financial literacy. We would get paid for our grades. And so every quarter or every twice a year, we would get paid for our grades and half of the money would go to a savings account 
and half of the money we would get to spend. And so with doing that, they taught us how we should spend our money with some of the things that we could be spending our money on. We um, taught us to balance our checkbooks. They taught us how to write checks, uh, money orders, just the basics of finances was in liter in elementary school and then in middle school I met with community members I met with people in the program every Wednesday and we um, they went over lessons it could be literally life lessons and scenarios of how are we going to do this what should we do and we talked about investing a lot and we talked about saving a lot and what that looks like the 70 20 10 rule what does that look like when we have maybe a small check what a good amount to say what's a good amount to be giving to charity and giving away yeah for those of us who may need a remedial lesson what is the 70 20 10 rule so the 70 20 10 rule 10 percent of your check goes to charity so that's something that you give whether it's giving to the food bank whether it's giving to your child's school whatever you would like to give to 20 percent of your check gets put into a savings account or you save 20% of your check. 70% of your check you get to keep and you get to keep it by spending it on your needs. Sometimes if you have enough, you spend it on your wants. And that's what we talked about and we went over. Sometimes we didn't have enough of that 70% to spend it on our wants. So what does that look like? What do we need to do next to help gain understanding of what we could be spending our money on? Do you feel like this really did prepare you financially for being a successful and independent adult? Absolutely. There's things that um, I know that my friends don't know about, or there's things that I will say that pop up in conversation that they have no clue about. I'm like, oh, I I do. I learned that from the Job Foundation. And when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, I did learn that through a private entity or a separate entity. Um, I did not learn that in school. So it's not something that they would possibly know if if they weren't introduced to it. So you graduated from high school. You went to Iowa State University and you accomplished. I mean, not only did you graduate from college, which is a huge accomplishment, but you Mm -hmm. also managed to make it through college without debt. Absolutely. So that was a really big deal for me um, to graduate college with no debt. It was really hard. I knew all about loans. Um, I knew about uh, subsidized loan, subsidized loans. I knew about grants that from the government. I they talked to us about money that we would have to give back, money that we can keep um, from the government. So I knew a lot about when it come when it came to finances and uh, college. I uh, was blessed enough to receive scholarships. Um, And that is what helped me along the way. And also, too, with my financial literacy lessons I got, I received refund checks every single uh, semester from my college. And so instead of blowing those checks, which some of my friends and people did, which is fine, it's totally fine, um, I would pay my rent for the year. And so then I wouldn't have to take out a loan or I wouldn't have to go to a different entity or owe anybody money. Um, I was able to handle my bills and take care of that money through the lump sum money that I got through the school, which was my money, which was right. free money. So you were really disciplined, really. And obviously, yes. if you received those that many scholarships, you also worked really, really hard in school. So yes. that's really yes. impressive. But still graduating from college, getting that first job, there are so many costs. When you had to make that transition, 
What did that feel like to you to to have to pay your rent and put down that deposit and and navigate that world? Absolutely. So now I I am navigating the world of yeah, paying rent and rent we all know is really expensive right now. Um I'm paying a thousand some dollars every month for my rent and I am a school teacher. So I don't have the biggest check, so it really has taught me to really save and budget my money and to be disciplined. Um, paying my rent, I do a really good job as far as budgeting. Um, I think it's important to write down all your bills. I think it's important to see it and see what is coming out. I'm um, in the beginning when I first became this young, independent adult. I did not do that. It was all on my mind, all in my brain. I did not really keep track of things. I just was letting money come out of my account. I was just letting it come out of my account and not being disciplined and controlling it in a way that I know I was taught to do so. And so I am a lot more disciplined with my money. I see where it's going. I see the different entities that I have to pay. Um, I look at the date I have to pay. There's so many little details that could help you financially month to month that could change your finances tremendously. You are a big believer in budgeting. Yes, absolutely. You are passing some of these skills that you learned growing up onto your fifth grade students. Why do you think it's important to inject that into your classroom? I think it's important because my sometimes most of my kids come from a family um, that may live paycheck to paycheck or they see that their family is struggling financially. And so I am instilling in my kids some of those basics foundational finances, finances that they can bring to their household. So for example, my students have classroom jobs. I introduced this in the beginning of the year. I made it an expectation that you have a job to come to school every day, just like your parent has a job to go to work every day. And so I told them that I think it's important that they get paid for their job that they do and for coming to school and and doing their classroom job. So um, jobs can range from paper passing, my electrician, the turning on the lights, to holding the door. They get paid every single week, and every single week they're able to buy from the classroom store. Um, I have a monetary and a non-monetary classroom store that they can choose from. I try to make it very um, accessible for my students so they can afford to go to the store. They get paid roughly around eight to ten dollars every single week. And then once every first of the month, my students have to pay rent. And this gives them a sense of, okay, sometimes I have to differentiate what's a want and what's a need. Sometimes my students have learned that they can't go to the classroom store this week because I have rent coming up. Or I find my students, let's say they break a pencil or let's say they're not putting in their best effort that day, or I feel like they can put in just a little bit more effort. Um, It gives them that like motivational piece in there that you're getting paid for your job. Everybody has a job in the real world. We get paid for our job. Well, and you know, Dominica, this sounds like a positive behavior incentive system, which we see in a lot of different schools, except You've integrated financial literacy. This is brilliant. Absolutely. <laughs> That's Absolutely. Fantastic. And they really have 
taken it. And I've heard some of my, one of my students actually go home and implement like, Hey mom, this is coming up. And like, he told me that he did that. I'm like, Oh, you did. And he was like, yeah, I told her. And we had a conversation and I told her that this is what she needs to do. And it was such a full circle moment for me, even though that parent was like, Whoa, you're overstepping your boundaries. Probably. (laughs) It was probably a full circle moment to hear that their kid knows that yeah. the kid is being educated in that way where they know to use their money and how to use their money and to it's, make a plan and to make a plan well absolutely. and you are you are a living example that these lessons really can absolutely. make a difference dominica that's fantastic thank you so much for sharing your story with us today thank you so much for having me Dominica Watts is 23 years old. She is a young adult, financially independent, and making her way in the world. She is a fifth grade teacher in Des Moines Public Schools. And this hour, we are talking about that difficult transition to becoming financially independent, making good financial decisions, and we'll get some good advice as the hour goes on. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and CorridorAesthetics.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, financial literacy for young adults and the people who love them. Making that transition to becoming financially independent and financially responsible as an adult is full of challenges. And you are welcome to join the conversation this hour with your questions about your own finances or the finances of a young person in your life. You can email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org or you can give us a call, 866 866- 780-9100. In a few minutes, Peggy Worcester, Regional Director of Member Services at Greater Iowa Credit Union, will be here to talk about budgeting, credit, loans, scams, and so much more. But we're going to start with a topic that a lot of young adults have to deal with, and that is student loan debt. Ryan Zanting is Director of Financial Aid at Drake University. Hello, Ryan. Hi, Charity. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And student loan debt, I mean, a lot of people have to deal with it, but the debt and debt forgiveness has been in the news so much in recent years. A lot of people may not even know where they stand at this point. Is that a problem? It is a problem. Um, yeah. So repayment, uh, the payment pause on on student loans uh, that was put in place for COVID for a little over three years ended in October. And so borrowers that maybe have never made a payment uh, or that had been in repayment, but then, you know, went into that pause, um, you know, have resumed payment. Uh, And so there's a lot of challenges with that. In the midst of that pause, there were some changes in federal student loan servicers as well. And so uh, borrowers may have had their federal student loan servicer change on them uh, if they were enrolled in auto pay. Uh, prior to the pause, they have to re-enroll in that. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, 
potential issues uh, as repayment begins. Right. If you don't pay a bill for three years, it's easy to forget that, oh, yeah, I should probably <laughs> pay that bill now. Um, so if if people, I know a lot of people have been checking and, and making sure that they know where they stand, but if they haven't, and if you don't know where you stand, how do you figure it out? Yeah. Uh, borrowers can go to studentaid.gov and with their federal student aid account, uh, log in there and they'll be able to view their federal student loan history as well as uh, who their current federal student loan servicer is. And uh, then they'll want to go to that web, uh, that servicer's website and create an account so they can go in and view details and ultimately just c- communicate with that servicer um, because that is you know who they're going to be making those payments to if they want to request changes in their payment plan or the, all those sorts of things. It's, it's done with that servicer. When somebody graduates from college, how much of a grace period do they have before they need to start paying those loans back? Yeah, for federal subsidized and unsubsidized loans, there's a six-month grace period after the student is uh, you know, ceases to be enrolled at least half time. And so for those six mon- months, no payments are required. Uh, subsidized loans, no interest is accruing on those. And then at the end of those six months, uh, repayment begins. You work with a lot of students who carry a lot of debt. Uh, how do you help students make a plan to become financially independent and financially successful after graduation? Yeah, step one is just doing an audit of all the loans that they have borrowed because uh, they can come from different loan programs, different sources. And so you just want to make sure you know uh, all the loans that you have borrowed and you're not missing any that, you know, um, you just want to be keep those in track. And then um, from there, uh, the second thing I always tell students is be aware of the loan forgiveness programs that are out there. Uh, public service loan forgiveness is probably the most broad one that, that applies, but there's teacher loan forgiveness uh, for students that may have had like Perkins loans or nursing loans. Uh, certain careers are, are eligible for some forgiveness there. So being aware of all those different programs and uh, considering whether or not uh, their career might make them eligible for that loan forgiveness. And if so, there are steps they'll want to take, such as uh, enrolling in qualifying repayment plans, for instance. Um, and so just want to make sure that they're doing all the steps they need to be doing to qualify for that forgiveness. So you work with students, of course, from Drake University, but if there are people who have student loan debt and they are having trouble figuring out what they might qualify for, how to navigate this. Are are there people they can turn to for this kind of help? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the financial aid um, profession is is always willing to help. Um, And so I often tell our graduates, you know, even if you're, you've graduated years ago, um, we're here, you know, if you have questions. Uh, studentaid.gov, like I said, is a great resource as well. Uh, all the information about federal loan forgiveness or um, you know, any of those programs is, is outlined in quite a bit of detail there. Uh, and so that's also a great resource. Um, but for sure, I mean, I'm always glad to talk to a, a graduate uh, of Drake or really anyone um, that has questions about federal student loans. So when you make that plan to pay off your student loans, you know, you've looked at your options, you've explored loan forgiveness and and some of the other pathways, but you've got to start making payments. Um, How do you look at those loans and decide what your highest priorities are? 
Yeah. So um, part of doing that audit of everything you've borrowed is is also you know, knowing what the interest rate uh, and the terms of each loan is. And um, so typically, uh, a very common strategy is to pay the minimum on all the loans except for your most exp- expensive one, right? The highest interest rate. And any extra that you can pay, uh, focus it all on that, that, high, that loan that's costing the most money. Uh, so that's one way um, that some borrowers do it. Another strategy could be um, if, if your objective is really to lower your monthly loan obligation, you might find you know, the loan that um, you could pay off the quickest. You know, and by eliminating that loan, you would eliminate a monthly payment um, and then have more discretionary um, you know, income available to, to keep paying down loans. Uh, so there's different ways you can approach it um, with valid reasons, but um, you want to develop that plan. And um, behind that plan is you know, what, what objectives are you trying to achieve? We are going to talk about credit scores in a moment, and uh, you'll have a lot to say about it. Our next guest has a lot to say about it as well. So let's table that for the moment. But do you have any basic advice for people who've been paying on their loans for a while and and are really struggling with that debt? Yes. um, And particularly, I'll speak here to federal student loans, um, being in touch with that federal loan servicer, because there are so many... uh, protections with those loans, many of them new. Um, the Biden administration has made a lot of changes to some longstanding problems with federal student loan programs. And so there's a, a new repayment plan available called the SAVE plan. Uh, and there's more information and students can en- or borrowers can enroll in that at studentaid.gov. Um, but that's an income-driven repayment plan. So payments are based on uh, the amount of income that a student is uh, is making. And a, a portion of that is uh, protected, right, for um, their, their uh, costs, you know, their, their living costs. Um, the difference with this loan, because income-driven rep- repayment plans have been around for a while, but with the SAVE plan, um, any interest that isn't covered by the student's monthly payment is waived so that if students are paying as agreed, uh, as required, those loan balances are not growing. And that's a feature that wasn't uh, part of previous income-driven repayment plans. And so one of the major problems with that is uh, borrowers that had you know, uh, lower income were making payments as, re- as required, uh, and yet their loan balances were growing. I'm thinking back to many, many years ago when I was in school and some of my friends and acquaintances who got themselves in in pretty deep as far as student loans went and they were working pretty independently. It felt like free money when they were in college and then after college, um, the bills started coming due. Do you have advice for parents? I mean, once your child turns 18, obviously they are a lot more independent. The student loan debt is their responsibility. But what would you say to parents to help them guide their students to, to be successful? Yeah, be involved in the college planning process. Um, pay attention to the, the borrowing that's happening. Um, and especially, uh, you know, if the, if the student is borrowing in excess of what their charges are, um, that they're borrowing the right amount. You know, there are students can borrow to cover their costs for like rent, books, some of those costs of college that they don't pay to the college. Uh, and that's, that's fine and that's appropriate. But 
um, you don't want to be borrowing more than you need because obviously there's there's a cost to that uh, when the repayment begins and, and you're paying interest on all that amount that's borrowed. So, um, you know, as Charity said earlier, like when she got those those refunds after her financial aid dispersed, um, she was wise with it, right, and, and used it uh, judiciously. So I guess, you know, another piece of advice for parents is, is start that financial literacy, start those conversations um, while they're still, you know, in high school uh, so that they're kind of prepared uh, and have that foundation and learn with them. You know, um, I think all of us have room to grow with our financial literacy knowledge and our skills. I'm talking with Ryan Zanting. He's director of financial aid at Drake University. And Ryan, stick around. Uh, We've got a lot more to talk about. And of course, if you have questions about student loans or any financial literacy issues for yourself or for the young person in your life, you can give us a call at 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100, or send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Peggy Worcester is also here, Regional Director of Member Services at Greater Iowa Credit Union. Hello, Peggy. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. And I want to start with the subject of budgeting. I know Ryan has some things to say about that as well. But budgeting is one of those really challenging things for, I don't know, a lot of us, no matter what our age is, but especially when you're in your 20s. Tell me what advice you have for for how to budget. You know, I think just knowing, like Ryan said, knowing what you owe knowing what is coming in every month, um, and write it down. There's a lot of great budgeting tools online now. Um, there is a lot of great, you know, different different things that you can use for that. Some people like the old standby, an actual notebook. Um, you know, it just kind of depends on what works for you. But just know everything that's going out every month and everything that's coming in every month. Um, when you mentioned budgeting tools online, I know some people are uncomfortable about that because they think, well, if I put all of this information online, then that information is at risk. Do you have concerns about that? I always have concerns about anything online anymore. We see so many different instances where somebody's online banking has been compromised because they're you know, not paying attention or they're you know, getting those scam emails that they're clicking on, and that gives them access to everything that they have in in a computer. Um, Don't ever click on anything that you're not aware of. Don't ever click on a link that you don't know where it's coming from, things like that. And once you, when you do that, you can keep yourself a little safer. Ryan, do you have anything to add to that as far as budgeting tools that, that you see really working for young people? Yeah. Um, you know, online there's apps too, uh, which of, of course, um, you know, that information is, is in the cloud somewhere and, and there is some risk uh, associated with that. I personally do use uh, Mint and um, find it very helpful, you know, to, to track all of um, the activity and like all my bank accounts, all my you know, cards, that sort of thing in a spreadsheet would would consume a lot of time. Um, so so these apps, you know, they link to your accounts and um, you know do make that much much easier to to do on a regular basis. Uh, so I do recommend it um, to people. Um, of course, I would encourage if they want to do it in a spreadsheet offline. That that's great too. But but make sure you're doing it right. Have a plan. Track your spending um, in accordance with your budget, and then. Adjust your budget. You know, a budget isn't like a one-time 
build, right? You have to continue to monitor and make adjustments as life changes. And, um, but, but, you know, don't let, um, you know, I encourage people not to let the risk of like the online tools, you know, be the thing that, that keeps them from, from having a budget at all, right? Do it one way or another. Let's talk about insurance, because I think that that is something that a lot of young people, when they graduate from college, don't know, or when, when they exit high school, they just don't know very much about it. Their parents have handled this their entire lives. They've handled their car insurance, if they're lucky enough to have a car, their, you know, their health insurance, all of that. So, Peggy, when people graduate or people begin their independent life, is insurance kind of a shock for a lot of people? I think it is. Um, you know, they've never had to make that payment before, so it's 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 definitely a shock for them. A lot of a lot of young adults stay on their parents' insurance until they're twenty six, um, and so that's you know a lot of times that helps them out a little bit at the beginning. But when you do have to start, you know, paying insurance costs, you really have to budget for those. If you're buying a car, don't just consider the cost of the car consider the cost of the insurance and the cost of gas and the cost of upkeep. It's, you know, cars are expensive just to buy, but when you add all these other things in, you really have to be budgeting for that. What about renter's insurance, something I know a lot of people go without? Yeah, you know, we see these, you know, these horrible accidents where an apartment building is on fire. Renter's insurance, I think, is usually fairly reasonable for what it covers, you know, because a lot of times people are out everything that they own if something happens to their apartment, if there's a, a flood or, or anything like that. Um, so I would certainly look into it with your insurance agent. It, it is one of those things that, that it's easy to let go, but you're telling me that we should not. No. Insurance is one of those things that nobody likes to pay for. Um, but when you need it, you absolutely 100% need it. And it's it's reassuring that it's been kind of sitting on your back shoulder the whole time. There are a lot of uh, different places where you can get insurance. Do absolutely. you recommend people go to kind of a one-stop shop, a place where they're going to be able to cover that renter's insurance and the auto insurance and, and other things all in the same place? Yeah, a lot of times they will give you discounts depending on how many types of, how many lines of insurance that you have. And so any discount can help, right? Right, absolutely. Um, all right, we, we have to take a break here in just a moment. I want to reiterate that you are welcome to join the conversation with your questions. You can give us a call at 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100. You can also send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. In just a moment, we're going to talk about credit scores, which I know is something that, that a lot of people have a hard time understanding. It seems like something of a magic formula, and it's an essential number to all of our lives. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. Peggy Worster is here, Regional Director of Member Service at Greater Iowa Credit Union, and Ryan Zanting, Director of Financial Aid at Drake University. Our number again, 866-780-9100. This is Talk of Iowa. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, financial literacy for young adults and the people who love them. If you have questions about your own finances, if you have questions about the finances of young people in your life, you can give us a call, 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100, or send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. With me today, Ryan Zanting, Director of Financial aid at Drake University, and also Peggy Worster, Regional Director of Member Service at Greater Iowa Credit Union. And just before the break, I promised we would start talking about credit scores. And uh, Peggy, I'll let you go first. I mean, your credit score is is so essential. How do you build it? So you build it by having loans or having a credit card. Now, I think we're going to talk about credit cards in a bit too, but yep. um, you have to be really careful about it. You need to make your payments on a regular basis. Um, most of your credit score is, is how much credit you have, how much you owe, and how you make your payments every month. <clears throat> you don't. You always have to make those payments on time. If you can't make those payments on time, contact your lender. Contact your credit card company. Um, things like that. We see student loan payments being delinquent all the time on credit reports as well. Contact people. There are waivers, like Ryan said, there are waivers for people. There are, you know, you can you can postpone payments sometimes, things like that. You always have to stay on top of it, though, because credit drives a lot in this world today. It can help you or hurt you when you're applying for jobs. It can help you with your insurance rates. Um, and it, in the long run, it will save you tons of money the higher the, your credit score. Um, because the lower your credit score, the higher interest rate you're going to pay because you are a risk then to any lender that's out there. And what's considered to be a good credit score? You know, a good credit score is really probably anything around the 700 range. Every credit score, there's a lot of different credit scoring models. And so it depends on what they're looking at, what the, the lenders are looking at. Um, and there's a lot of different, different, you know, models, and it's hard to kind of estimate a score. But generally, anything 700 and above is considered a good, good credit score. Ryan, is this something that you talk to students about? Because as Peggy was just saying, uh, defaulting on your student loan affects your credit score. That affects everything in your life. Yeah, we certainly do. Uh make it clear to students that federal student loans are, or really any student loans are reported um, to credit bureaus. And so it is important to make those on-time payments as agreed and seek help if you're having trouble doing that. Um, But yeah, federal student loans are oftentimes uh, somebody's first, you know, credit. And so they are a great opportunity to build credit, build that positive uh, payment history and that sort of thing. Peggy, uh, when do you think a person should get their first credit card? Because you have to use credit to have a credit score. You do. Um, I think when they're responsible enough to keep those, keep their credit usage within their means is a good time to get a credit card, which is really hard sometimes. You don't know until you get one how you're going to manage it. One thing I would always say is never 
never charge up to the limit on your credit card, that's going to affect your credit score. Um, <clears throat> if you make your payments on time, if you keep your credit line below, you know, about 40% of the entire line, so never charge more than 40% of what your card gives you a limit for, and you can pay it off in full every month, then you'll be in a really good position and your credit will build accordingly. So I received advice. I've, I've got teenage kids myself and uh, someone suggested that if a parent has a credit card that they pay off in full every month, that adding their kids to that credit card account would be a good way to help their kids uh, develop a credit score. Do you think that's a good idea? You can do that. Um, if you add them as an authorized user, it really doesn't necessarily qualify. It will show up on their credit score. Um, a lot of people think you can't develop a credit score before the age, age of 18, but you can. You're just not liable for any of those debts before you become 18. So we can't hold you accountable for any debt that you incur before the age of 18. Right. So, and so, it, so it may be a good idea to add them to your credit card as a, as a user and then that could go on to their credit report. All right. But of course, you have to make sure that you're going to be paying exactly. that card off in full every month. If your exactly. credit takes a dive, so does yes. theirs, right? Yes, exactly. So tell me how you feel about credit cards versus debit cards. Everybody's got a debit card these days. That's the mm -hmm. first thing you're given when you open a bank account as a kid. And, and so a lot of people get really used to using that debit card. Um, how do you decide what's the best to use? Well, the one thing I would never do is use a debit card online. Your debit card is just as susceptible to fraud online as your credit card. But if, if they get your debit card, then suddenly they have access to your entire checking account. So I have a credit card that I just use for online purchases. I know what's coming through there should be, you know, anything that I bought on Amazon or whatever. And I keep that credit card just for that reason. And that way I know if, if there's something that goes through that credit card that I don't recognize, I know I can immediately shut that card down and I'm not responsible for those charges. Debit cards have access to your checking account, which to me is a little scary to put that out there online. Um, and we have a lot of people that do use their debit cards online. Um, and they quite often have several charges come out of their checking account and they don't notice them because everything's auto pay anymore, right? right. So they, they might not necessarily notice a five, an initial $5 charge come out of their checking account, which again is why you need to budget and track your accounts. But, and then suddenly there's more charges coming out and there's bigger charges coming out because they will test, you know, they will test with small dollar amounts. They will test with micro, micro withdrawals and micro deposits. So I just want to reiterate that. Peggy, you're saying that you should not use your debit card to pay for things online. I would never do that. Wow. I mean, a lot of people do that. <laughs> a lot of people do it. But you have to be on top of your checking account then. All and right. you have to watch everything that comes through. So we have a question from Sam in Hills who's wondering if it's okay for someone to not ever have had a credit card if they're in their early 30s and have undergrad and postgraduate loans that they're paying off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we look at if, let's say, they want to go buy a car, you know, their credit's going to be limited. Um, but 
we certainly don't hold a big hold it against them if they don't have credit cards. Credit cards are just the easiest way to develop credit. Okay. So get a credit card, use it online, pay it off in full. Am I am I repeating your bullet yes. points there? Yes, definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about Beyond uh, paying off your credit card, beyond paying off your student loans, I mean, when you have money coming in, you're making a budget, how should you be thinking about how much of that money should go toward rent or a mortgage, your car loan, and and all of these different Mm -hmm. expenses? So uh, most lenders figure a debt to income. Debt to income is strictly what you owe versus what you are taking home. And it's a you know, really simple mathematical equation. Um, And, you know, if you are spending, say your take-home pay is $1,000 a month and you're spending $500 of that, you have what we consider $500 disposable. But you're at 50% debt-to-income. So that's a pretty high debt-to-income for that. Um, You know, but somebody who takes home $10,000 a month and has $5,000 in debt they're the same debt to income, but they have a very different take-home pay, right? They have $5,000 left over at the end of the month after they've paid all their bills. Right. So that's it's the same debt to income, but it's a very different scenario because of how much someone makes. So you really have to look at how much debt you have versus how much you take home. As far as rent and mortgage, the general rule of thumb is less than 30% of your income should go to your housing. And that is tough to do in this modern environment. It is. That's why we have roommates. That's why we rent a, you know, people rent rooms in their houses, um, bed and breakfast. (laughs) You know, that's why people get creative. So um, we've been talking about what the choices that people should make optimal choices. But of course, a lot of people do rack up some credit card debt. You go through a period of time where you're just not making enough to cover your needs. Um, When you do get into trouble with credit card debt, what's the best way to handle that? So there's, you know, there's a lot of schools of thought about that. Um, You really, again, just like Ryan said, you have to know what you owe. Um, I've had many a person come into me and wanted to do a loan to pay off debt. They knew they had a lot of debt, but they didn't know how much they owed. And I had one gentleman who had $80,000 in credit card debt. And he said, no, I don't. (laughs) And I said, yeah, actually you do. And I showed him his credit report. And he's like, I had no idea it was that much. And I think a lot of times when people get into a lot of credit card debt, they just kind of try and ignore it as best they can. Yeah, denial again, is, a, is a powerful denial, force. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, but what they can do is they can work out um, some, you know, different workout solutions with the credit card companies directly. There are companies that will help you work out solutions with credit card companies and help you kind of repair your credit. You can't ignore it. Let's talk about investing. Let's say you have some money to put into savings or maybe beyond savings. How how should young people start to think about investing and, and when? Um, well, I'm not an investment expertise or anything like that. But um, I think if they do have some money that they feel they're safe enough to um, 
you know, kind of go that direction, they should start simple, you know, um, start simple with things that they use every day. If they use it every day, then probably it's it's going to be okay to invest in something like that. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of apps out there that can help you with that as well. If you have an employer that offers a 401k plan, I would highly recommend joining the 401k plan. Um, some of the best advice I ever got was when I was younger, and every raise that I get at the credit union, I put into my 401k. So I'm basically making the same I made when I started there, but I don't notice it because I just put it away in my 401k. I want to have a nice retirement. I want to travel. So it's important to me to do that. But everybody has different priorities. Well, I'm I'm 49 years old. I know I need to be thinking about <laughs> retirement. But when do you need yes. to start thinking about retirement? I would start as soon as you get a job. I would start thinking about what you can put away for that. Um, I didn't start saving till for retirement until I was in my early 30s. And I feel like that 10 years that I could have put money away, I really lost, you know, a lot of money that I could have been been socking away for my retirement. And do you feel like uh, if you have an employer that offers a retirement account, is that enough? Or should you also be thinking about a retirement account outside of whatever your employer offers? Um, you know, you can put away into a retirement plan your employer offers. Um but yeah, you always want to kind of keep adding to that. You want to look at, you can look at IRAs, individual retirement accounts. Um, you can look at other options like that. Um, and the more that you can put away to, to utilize later, the better off you'll be. We only have a few minutes left, uh, but Peggy, I, I want to talk about some of the dangers out there because there are a lot of dangers out there in addition to getting too deeply into credit card debt as one yes. of them or defaulting on your loans. Uh, there are so many scams out there. How do you protect yourself? You have to be aware. If you don't know the person that's sending you this information, please don't click on it. Please don't go into it. Please don't respond to it. Um, there's a lot of romance scams out there, which I think is really sad. Um, but we have a lot of people who come in and they're like, well, I need to send money to my fiance. And we always ask, where's your fiance at? Well, they're in Germany or they're in Russia or somewhere else. And they've never met them. Oh, they've wow. only talked to them online. Um, you have to avoid those kinds of things. You know, if, if you really wouldn't, if you haven't been in the same room with this person, I really wouldn't give money to them. You know, you have to be super careful about that stuff. And there's tons of them out there, too. Um, the scammers are incredibly smart. Um, I always say that if they would turn their attention to legal things, they could probably rule the world. But they haven't done that. So they're incredibly smart, and they keep coming up with different scams and different things. Um, you know, there's text scams, there's phone scams, there's everything. My own mother had a phone call from another bank, and it was the grandchild scam. Um, it sounded like her grandson, and he needed money. And she almost sent him money. And I'm like, stop, no. <laughs> let's, let's call him first and see where he's at. Yeah. You know, so reach out to the people around you. Trust your family, too. You know, tell your family that the stuff is, is coming at you. 
you know, block this, block it if you're online or anything like that. We also hear a lot of warnings about predatory lenders. When you're coming up short, it's really tempting mm-hmm. to get an advance on your paycheck. It is it's tempting, and it's a cycle. Um, they they are very very friendly at those places that you go in to get advance on your paycheck. They're super friendly. They're probably the friendliest people. <laughs> you will ever find. And they're your best friend, but they get you into the cycle and you cannot get out of it. Um, because once they've taken part of your paycheck to pay pay that lo- loan back, because it is a loan, and the loan is, is probably at 400% interest or something like that. Um, and it seems small at first, but then you just start owing them more and more and more. And then you can't get out of it. And pretty soon your entire paycheck is going to them. Peggy, we are out of time, but thank you so much for all of the good advice. And if people do get into trouble and they bank at a credit union or, or another institution, they can come and talk to somebody like you, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Peggy Worcester is Regional Director of Member Services at Greater Iowa Credit Union. Ryan, thank you so much. Thank you, Charity. Ryan Zanting is Director of Financial Aid at Drake University. We've been talking about financial literacy for young adults this hour. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. This episode was produced by Phineas Pope. I'm Charity Nevy. This is Talk of Iowa.